Before we get started for this week's show, we'd like to thank you all for tuning in with a special shout out to those who support us on Patreon. We'll give you the link at the end of the show, but while there is little on-field action, there are still so many stories to share. From just $2 US a month as a patron, you can access extended podcasts and other bonus content. A shout out to our latest patron, Connor Prendergast of Ireland. Thank you, Connor, and hopefully we will see more cricket from your part of the world very soon. We have another belter coming up for you this week as we chat to Brian Mantle in part two of our discussion on German cricket, and we catch up with some more news from around the world. Enjoy. Welcome once again to another emerging cricket podcast online and on Sport FM in Perth. I'm Daniel Beswick and with me are my two co-hosts up in Brisbane, Tim Cutler. Tim, how are you? I'm okay. Restrictions are lifting here every week. Um, so trying to get outside, well I should be getting outside more, but there's more cricket to watch. So I seem to be spending more time <laughs> inside, trying to fit that around working as well. But uh, no, all good here. I, like I keep talking about getting fatter and I've, there's only one person to blame for that and that's that's me. Um, so probably best we move on. Uh, well, yeah, I, I've got a second uh, what you just said there because while there has only been a little bit of cricket that has started up again, all of it is in the emerging circles and it's kept us very busy. We've had a huge uptick in fans over the last week or so, 5,000 Facebook likes in a week. So thank you to every single one of you guys who has jumped on the emerging cricket bandwagon. Uh, before we hop on, uh, time to introduce the third man of the podcast team, better known as Copernicus Cricket on Twitter, Nick Skinner. Nick, how are you? Got me fielding at third man, have you? Hey, it's an important role, especially in uh, the limited formats that we're watching on uh, our streams at the moment. Yeah, the blood down to, yep. No, I'm, I'm all right. I've been listening to a, a podcast about the uh, the Whitlam dismissal, which has been enlightening. It's put a bit more detail onto the stuff we, we learned about in high school, but yeah, very interesting stuff. Um, that'll be relevant to uh, the the 30% of people that are, that are in Australia and then probably uh, 10% of that that understand what the Whitlam dismissal is. But that would be when the Governor-General dismissed the uh, government and Prime Minister. Wait, what, what year was it? 1975, November the 11th. Oh, I was going to guess 74. So my modern history, I'm not as sharp as I used to be. Well, it's not, it's not capital cities, Bez. So. Just quality content here for another Friday. <laughs> Just uh, beaming it out to everyone that wants to hear us talking about cricket. It, we've lucky we've got the cut button. <laughs> the creative license is well and truly in Nick's hands. Let us know where you are listening to the pod with the hashtag ECPod. Let's talk about Vanuatu first, boys, as the blast continues. Uh, a little bit disappointing. My MT Bulls have a mountain to climb from here. Quickly go through the scenario that all teams face coming into the last couple of days of round robin action. The mighty Afate Panthers, Nick your team they look almost good to make the final already with a strong net run rate one more win guarantees a final spot the Ethereum Sharks also definitely secure a final spot by beating the MT Bulls for the MT Bulls they need to win both games convincingly and hope their net run rate is significantly boosted the only other way they can get there is if they lose to Marty Afate Panthers first and providing they beat the Sharks convincingly they might be able to squeeze into that final some great action over the weekend we saw the Afira Sharks with the double header this week 
won one, lost one. They won the second match, but they did look a little bit flat in the morning, Nick. You were there watching the live action. I've had to watch it on delay today to catch up with things. But your mighty Afate Panthers, they say history is only written by the winners. And Nick, I'll I'll give you the floor here. They seem to be going from strength to strength. Yes, uh, I think... I don't know. I was a bit surprised, actually, because they didn't have too many players that I was expecting. Um, obviously, Josh Razu is a, a high-quality bowler and batter, but other than that, they, they didn't have too many big names. So it's been really nice to see some of the uh, the younger guys who, who might be sort of pushing for selection in the future to see them step up. And that's been one of the really nice things about this whole tournament, really, is just seeing the, the next level of, of Vanuatu talent. And uh, there, there seems to be quite a lot of it. One thing I will bring up before we get into the nitty-gritty match action is that the pitch definitely seems conducive to some of the domestic players who seem to be able to really adapt to that hybrid wicket in comparison to some of the national team players who might be picked to play on surfaces that are are found in in international cricket but once you go onto that hybrid surface it does look like a few other players have stamped their authority on the competition. Well we've talked about the effect of the the hybrid wicket and whether it's the the future of growing the game to, to have that sort of a little bit slower a little bit more conducive to slower bowling, you know, cross seam, change of pace. But yeah, you might be right. I guess those national team players maybe are normally trained on something that's a lot quicker. I haven't thought about that. Well, to discuss our allegiances and the MT balls, I'm glad that I didn't watch that second game of the day live because I would have been blowing a head gasket <laughs> for a number of reasons. I think they dominated that game for about 16 of the 20 overs and still managed to lose. They had the Sharks tied up at four for not many, let them get away. And then with the bat, Matt Altava got out to a ball that looked very much like a waist high full toss. Uh, he hasn't had the rub of the green so far in this competition. And that was kind of just the one sort of dismissal that almost typifies his tournament thus far. And again, they, they looked almost home and, and dry, but the last two overs of that game, Apollonais Steven and Stefan Sandy in particular, with his off breaks, he's got the doozer in the kit bag as well. Nick, it's just too much for a lot of these players uh Stefan Sandy's uh off breaks yeah you mentioned the uh the local guys making the the most of the conditions and um I think Sandy's an example of that his bowling is uh really well suited to it and just in the way that he um as you said very crafty off spin and that pitch that we discussed last week just a little bit sort of the ball just sticks into it and it's holding up pretty well I mean it's been low and slow the whole tournament but that's you know that's just how it is. Uh, uh, just looking at, at the uh, the scorecard there with um, uh, Nalan Nipico hitting uh, 78 out of 108. So, you, know, you, you just couldn't get him out. Everyone else was uh, falling by the wayside, but he held the innings together and, and just showed his uh, his class there. Hit some absolutely massive blows, and he was one of the guys that we sort of said before the tournament started was was one to look out for. He dumped poor old Nalisa into the <laughs> into the the banana plants over the boundary, and uh, it was a lost ball. So yeah, lots of lots of exciting cricket, and uh, very keen for the finals day, which I think. I'm pretty safe in saying the Panthers will make. Yeah, it's kind of like watching uh, my Sharkies of the 80s, you know, one or two good <laughs> players, but the rest of the team isn't really supporting them. You know, pass the ball to Eddinghausen and that's about it. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I wonder if they're using the Kookaburra regulations rather than, than Kookaburra turfs. I think they probably only would have had the the, uh, the regulations similar to what Hong Kong did with the uh, with the Blitz when they did the the, uh, the ball counting. We did talk about this on the live show for those that uh, tuned in on, live on Facebook, but uh, I'm guessing they've gone for the, the lower spec ones 
nations. Well, knowing what the budgets are like in some of these nations, I'm, I'm guessing they've gone for the regulation. Yeah, Dietz, I think, was saying that's 80 bucks gone down the drain when it, <laughs> it's just disappeared. So, yes. 80 bucks a ball, yep. Okay, better than 140. A quick run through of the table and the last fixtures to be played out. The last three fixtures over the last two match days. So, everyone's played four matches. The Mighty Afate Panthers on six points. The Afira Sharks on four points. The MT Bulls on two points. Uh, the Mighty Afate Panthers get the double dip this weekend. So, a really good opportunity for them to move even further clear. They play the MT Bulls in the earlier game and the Afira Sharks in the afternoon. The final match to complete the round robin stage is actually played on the final day the week after. The Afira Sharks taking on the MT Bulls and the final, of course, being that afternoon. Are we all pledging our allegiances to our team like good loyal fans? I know I'm sticking well and truly to my MT Bulls in this moment of uh, despair. Uh, Nipico, all the way is going to carry the Sharks through. Eddinghausen, <laughs> not that ET ever got to do it for the Sharks. It was Paul Gallen that did it for the, the Sharkies in 2016. But yeah, look, if we can be talking about Australian political disasters in the 70s, I'm going to talk about 80s rugby league and Sharks all the way. Undefeated from now until the final, including lifting the trophy in two Saturdays' time. Big prediction there, Tim. <laughs> and make sure to keep up with both EmergingCricket.com or the Vanuatu Cricket Association webpage for all of our content in regards to the Vanuatu Tetan Blast. We have locked in cross promotion with them and we're keen to keep up with that as the blast continues. But some other cricket going on and I'll move to Guernsey first because they were potentially one of the first in the European region to begin some sort of live cricketing action. I was going to say, are they part of the EU or Europe? Part of the UK, part of England. Yes, there's this Venn diagram of, (laughs) uh, well, they're the Channel Islands and they're Crown Dependencies, I think, but they're not part of the British Isles or part of Great Britain, nor the United Kingdom. So it's important to get those technicalities out of the way. But Guernsey did hold a T20 match for the COVID-19 appeal in conjunction with the European Cricket Network. Network had a stream up as well. No commentary or overlay, but they made up with a scoreboard uh, being shown every half over or so. Quick shout out to Mark Ladder, one of our patrons and also the CEO of the Guernsey Cricket Board. And it was the Andy's 11 breezing to a seven wicket victory with 11 balls to spare. But I think the main talking point here, Nick, is just to have live cricket from the European region because we have seen from the outside Europe has been rather hard hit by the global outbreak of COVID-19. I'm not exactly sure how the Channel Islands have coped individually, but for Guernsey to put up a stream, uh, 84,000 people watching the YouTube stream, it's a great result for cricket all around. Yeah, and um, I liked the vibe of it. It was a sort of a felt like you were at the ground sort of thing you know there, there wasn't any comms and you just got the ambient sound effects so you got the you know the crowd chatting and the players talking to each other and the crack of bat on ball and it just it has that really nice soothing sound to it and that's just one of the best sounds in the world just a local cricket game with bat on ball and and some people hanging around but uh yeah so the andy cornford who's the a guernsey cricket board head of cricket 11 versus the ollie tap who's the performance coach 11 and um yeah so it's it's pretty good result for a well basically yeah a charity game into squad sort of thing um 
Yeah, I was happy. It's more cricket. Let's move on to the Finnish Premier League, which began this week, coming out of Karava, about 20 kilometres north of Helsinki, I believe. And it was Helsinki Cricket Club who won the first match of the tournament. They were set to be the ECL representative of the European Cricket League for 2020. And they showed why, uh, with a pretty convincing victory there in Karava. A couple of notable performers, Khalid Rahman Mangal, was a class above with the bat. Technically sound, tall, wiry figure, uh, a lot of leverage in his shots, a lot of power. Nick, you were mentioning just before, uh, he put someone in into the bush through the net as well. I've noticed that he hasn't played for the Finnish national team, which may suggest that he doesn't qualify as yet. He hasn't been there long enough. But yeah, they looked classy. And, and overall, a good quality stream. The commentary was good. The overlay with the score was excellent. You got a really good feel of Finnish cricket and, and it was a very knowledgeable broadcast. One of the other cameras did look like Finland was in this sort of blue Instagram filter to like haze but the front on camera they only bowled from one end was excellent I quite enjoyed watching this bat yeah and no, I think um, it, you, you mentioned the fact that they only played from one end I think that's uh, a good example of cricket being a bit more flexible and you know not having to follow these you know why do you need to swap ends when you're playing on synthetic and, and it's you know there's not going to be too much variation between each end you know I think that was good uh, it looked like a, a really nice ground actually and yeah it was really slick broadcast got a lot of information about Finnish cricket had some guests on um, it's funny to say this but it's it's nice to be back to T20 after seeing quite a lot of T10 of late the quote unquote longer format you say that uh, it plays the same from both ends but I think back to one of the grounds in, in Hong Kong there was a cricket pitch in, in the middle of two artificial football grounds and at one stage we had to play from one end because the other end was dodgy and although it looked normal it would just spit up off a length because it wasn't laid the right way and it was taking people's teeth out so uh, don't don't always assume but no it's, it's such an interesting thing isn't it to think about just the things that we always think oh well, you got to bowl from both ends you got to do it this way and just how something like the ECL and European Cricket Series and then bring it and, and, and maybe it's through necessity about getting games through quicker especially with fading lights at both ends of the uh, at, at the globe but how it just makes it a lot easier to to get through it and the only problem is if you ask someone who's stuck in a fielding position that's not that exciting although it's probably less likely to happen in t10 or t20 cricket you're just stuck there and you <laughs> never move if you're the kid that it's been at fine leg and not necessarily getting a go of doing anything else you're at fine leg forever <laughs> well at least it's not the old fine leg to fine leg uh marathon well at least you get fit <laughs> doing that you know if you do this you sit at fine leg your mum's asking you like why are you here and you just yeah but anyway just these are the things that come to mind when i imagine buying from one end not the positives but um, no, it's, it's, the stream did look good and I think as you said having some good guests on there is crucial to a good stream like, which keeps people in the game and learning things um, I, I didn't watch for long I, I was a little bit under the weather shall we say in the weekend but to hear Mr Armitage on there with his um, English Finnish accent although he's been in Finland long enough to probably just as much uh, call it a Finnish accent um, informed me about the different games that have been going on including indoor cricket that, that have been happening beforehand so it's always good to learn more especially from during one of the, the streams as cricket's going on. Uh, probably worth mentioning as well before we do move on that it wasn't European Cricket Series event but it was being broadcast by the European Cricket Network and to reaffirm Helsinki were meant to be the 2020 ECL representatives as well. One more league that I do want to bring up before we do discuss more German cricket matters with Brian Mantle is this news of the Greece Premier League which has just come through. It's a, it's a rather strange one. It claims to be helping grassroots but it's also forming 
adding six new franchises or six new teams and potentially opening the door for overseas players and just looking at the way that they are putting this together the Athens Tigers the Dangerous Patras the Trikala Venom Crete Rhinos the Corfu Lions and the Thessaloniki Star and just looking at the rules briefly Nick and I'm sure you've had a quick look at this as well the playing 11 of each team must contain three Greece nationality players and eight foreign players from different parts of the world selected through nomination and the selection process the six teams will battle it out in, in 15 league matches where they'll play everyone once the top four make the semi-finals the winners of those two semi-finals will qualify for the final just running through the, the format there it, it does open the door for overseas players but I'm just not sure what the phrasing is meant by that whether they mean Greek born players and players coming from elsewhere who qualify for Greece but aren't born in Greece I think there's a couple of things that we do need to iron out there but I, I mean cricket in Greece I'm not sure how Greece are coping with COVID but I, I suppose any cricket's better than none they're actually doing better than a lot of other European countries uh- I think they recently announced they're ready to start opening up to tourists again. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, this is one of those ones where we sort of we need to wait for a bit more information to come out. But helping grassroots cricket by starting up these these pop up teams that no one really cares about or don't really have much history. I'm, I'm not convinced. That's how the um, European T20 Slam seemed to go awry in, in rather than you know using the existing club scene and and you know and tapping into that which is what the European Cricket Network stuff is doing. Uh, and, and I think that's working a lot better. You know, just coming up with these, uh, was it Corfu Tigers or, or whatever, you know, there's even some lions in there and some rhinos. So they're big fans of game animals, but I don't really see the, you know, the local connection coming in here. I guess it's good having um, the three Greek nationals. So that'll that'll be some some level of, you know, helping grassroots cricket. But overall, it just seems a bit like a, a yet another one of these attempts to cash in that are sort of popping up everywhere yeah and just to wrap up your point nick i I think it's crucial at least in the european cricket setup that you galvanize this potential hotbed of talent across europe by strengthening and giving profile to a lot of these clubs that have existed for 50 to 100 plus years you know we look at denmark and the netherlands and, and cricket clubs have been around for a very very long time but what it does achieve the ecl is that it gives people a pathway from winning a domestic tournament in Europe to then competing at the next level, competing on an an international club level, which is the European Cricket League. And that's been based through clubs that have been around for for a long time. And I suppose in a more extreme sense, we looked at the T20 Slam, which never got off the ground. And to be honest, you know, it's hard to see where the European development comes into that because it's just pop-up franchises and players being planed in to just play some cricket for two weeks in a country and then hopping on another plane and playing in a different country for another two weeks. Whereas the European cricket setup gives the potential for people playing in clubs to grow through that part of the game and then the juniors coming through as well. So yeah, look, I think we're all in agreement that that's probably the best way to go about things. That's all the news we have for now in the emerging cricket world. Make sure to keep up with emergingcricket.com for the latest news. But for now, here is part two of our chat with Brian Mantle. So you, you've sort of touched on it, but it, it seems like you're having a lot more success with um, you know, local success, I guess, with the women's game as opposed to the men for you know for a number of reasons. And this is a, a common thread throughout a lot of associate cricket where the women's program is having a lot of success in, in the local scene. So 
How much of that is to do with the ICC focusing a bit more on women's cricket and, and how much is it, you know, other factors? I think the ICC about about 10 years or so ago said to associates to, to remain an associate and not to be in danger of losing your status. You had to have some sort of women's program. And that basically that stick that the ICC used was one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons why we started to take it seriously. And a lot of other countries, certainly in Europe, took it seriously. That stick has been taken away, meaning if you don't do women's cricket, you're not in danger of losing your, your ICC status. But the attitude of the ICC, it means if you go to a lot of these workshops and seminars that the ICC offers, it is very clear that women's cricket is, is a huge priority for them as well. So it's an opportunity, obviously not just you know in terms of doing the right thing, but also financially through the ICC scorecard, where women's cricket has gradually become more and more important to the, to the funding that we get. And if you believe what the ICC is saying within the next few years, it will be seen on a path with men's cricket in terms of importance then we have to take it seriously from a business perspective but we take it seriously because we enjoy it because it brings us a lot of good moments it brings us a lot of positive public relations and you know we can have a, a, a big impact on people's lives through this so it's uh, we're very proud of our women's program we're investing a lot of time and energy into it and uh, yeah again when the virus is gone um, we hope to see the, the, the numbers shooting through the roof in the next couple of years you know we have to remember 50% of the people on this planet are women so <laughs> fact can't argue with the numbers <laughs> <laughs> the idea of people who are finding a common denominator or a common interest in cricket is is obviously it's a great way to, to interact to socialize and, and to be a part of a, a new society and to grow up in a, in a different place like that the men have but also the women how much benefit do you see people across both genders being involved in those cricket diasporas because i'm sure for a lot of people as we said at the top of the podcast it's vital that people can find other people with with, with common interests in it and it makes it a lot easier for people to, to, to grow into the new society that they, they now live in. Yeah, I mean, with the men, it doesn't happen much with the Germans. There are examples of it. One of the things, or one of the stories I always use is, is, is a club I used to play for and we were a team of Sri Lankans, Pakistanis, Indians, a couple of English guys. And then one guy who I'd played cricket with for four or five years invited me to his baby son's uh, christening. And I very naively at the time thought, well, it's probably a word from another religion which and, and a ceremony which is similar to a, to a christening and uh, I went along with my wife and uh, it was a christening this guy was a Catholic he came from Sri Lanka and um, mm. very devout Catholic I, I played with this guy for five years and didn't know what religion he had it's just not an issue we have Indians and Pakistanis playing together in one team it's never an issue it's really people are not really interested in it religion is not an issue nationality is, isn't an issue it's, it's a sport which is bringing people together you know when you read the newspapers and all of the all of the issues regarding those countries or internally in their own countries but also between the different countries on the cricket field in Germany it's just not an issue and if you go around our national teams with our male national team you know we've got ethnic Afghans we've got ethnic Pakistanis we've got ethnic Indians we've had Australians we've got a couple of uh, South Africans with German passports now nobody ever thinks about a person's race religion or anything like that it's just people coming together and this I can imagine like it had an, an impact on my life probably has an impact on these guys lives as well in terms of their, their open mindedness and, and realizing that people are people and um, we're all playing a sport that we love and, and we're on the field trying to win a game of cricket does that answer that question speaking of your male national team and formerly having a, an, an australian be remiss of us not to talk about daniel weston in that well i guess the european cricket league was really born from a colonel that was german cricket tv and he talks about his vision for, for growing the game 
in Europe. And well, I get asked a lot about associate cricket, T20 events, etc., and how they can work or not. And I say how so many tournaments go wrong is they start from the top and think that bringing stars in are going to bring the money and the interest, where Daniel Weston has turned that idea on its head completely by starting from the ground up, talking to established clubs, building a tournament around getting all the champions of all European countries together and actually having some local buy-in in there. How do you see, well, what do you think about that idea? I know you're probably part of those discussions as things were going on and talking to Daniel about it, but how does that link in with what you're trying to do and how do you feel about the European Cricket League and, and what will that mean for sort of tomorrow's German cricketers looking towards potentially trying to play in an ECL? Yeah, well, I remember talking to you about this in Dubai once, Tim, over a beer um, when, when Daniel Weston was starting to get involved. I mean, we always knew that there was a guy in Munich who was a, a very good wicketkeeper batsman who was good enough almost certainly to play for our national team, but he was never interested in playing for Germany. That all changed about five years ago, six, no, six years ago, when we, we got Stephen Knox as our, our national team coach, who's also the, the coach of the Scottish women's national team. And, and we started to professionalise what we were doing on a performance level. So not just you know, people playing a game of cricket on a Sunday, but actually taking it seriously and trying to achieve things as a national team. And he came along and he, he bought into this new idea, this new concept. He didn't want to play before because he didn't see it as professional enough. He's a guy who basically is, is successful in, in everything that he does and didn't want to be part of, a, of, a, of an amateur national team. He wanted to be part of a forward-thinking team. He bought into it. He got to know a lot of the people. Obviously, then the refugee crisis happened. And, okay, say refugee crisis for us, obviously, it was... Uh, it brought a lot of positive things. Um, and he said, okay, let's go and see what we can do. He set up German Cricket TV, which got to over a million people following and watching these short clips, which for us was just you know, a revolution in terms of our profile. Realized though that uh, in terms of an investment, it probably wasn't going to make a return on his investment because yeah, were people ever going to pay for this content? And then one day he said, I'm going to start a league. And the easy thing for him to do would have been to say, okay, let's get the, the German national team and the French national team and let's all have a tournament in Spain but he did something that probably nobody else had even thought about he said well let's get the clubs together a few eyebrows were raised obviously uh, certainly when we realised what he was planning to do at this stage nobody knew what he was planning to do and, and how far he would go and it's just been for us and all of the other countries in Europe has been yeah, again a revolution in terms of motivating our players you know everybody wants to go to La Manga next year obviously we're very disappointed what has happened this year with this year's tournament being cancelled again taking away a little bit of that momentum but here's a guy who who totally buys into to, to European cricket to German cricket says that in 25 years you know we will be a, a major player in world cricket some of us need a little bit of convincing on that we're happy that we've got him because he pushes us he motivates us makes us think outside the box in, in the same way that he has done and uh, absolutely fantastic I say that as, as a friend he's a, he's a friend of mine he's, he's a really good guy a really really good guy and um, yeah obviously we're very proud that it all came out of Germany but now it's more a European thing and I'm sure the tournament will grow and, and because it's different because you've got people like Pavel bowling and it's not another IPL or Euro T20 slam or anything like that it's something different then it has a real chance to be successful um, if he'd had a European franchise tournament it would have lasted for a year or two and then probably faded away this is something different we don't want to see Chris Gale batting we want to see proper cricketers and the proper cricketers want to see themselves you know on TV it's, it's wonderful well the best part and you made the point there at the end of your comment the idea for the ECL is to reward domestic champions across these countries with a chance to 
to win European silverware, other the the Champions League. And I know that he's sort of nicknamed it the, the Champions League of cricket, but it highlights, accentuates, and ultimately puts on a pedestal a lot of these guys who are performing well domestically in their national leagues to come to a continental competition and potentially win that as well. And to look at the next generation, and he used 25 years as a good yardstick of that. There are kids at home from parts of Europe who think, yeah, I can be a part of this competition if I put the time in and then practice and become a good cricketer rather than be usurped by, I don't know, like you said, a Chris Gale or, or someone along those lines. To, to look at last year's ECL and we saw SG Findorf actually have quite a successful tournament there making the final and, and losing out to VOC, probably beating out a couple of teams there that might have been a little bit more fancied. Do you think that's a good indication of, of how strong German domestic cricket is now given the, the influx of players and, and the strength of the clubs relatively? Yeah, I think what we saw at the ECL, obviously Findorf got to the got to the final, they beat the Danish champions in the semi-final, that was uh, a big surprise because everybody presumed that it would be a Danish-Dutch final, but I think the results that you saw were a fair reflection. Obviously the Netherlands are a long way ahead of us, uh, in, in, maybe not in numbers, but certainly in terms of you know infrastructure, club structure and, and things like this. Um, what we saw is that there's not a big difference between the champions of France and Germany and Italy and Spain, and anybody could have beaten anybody in any of those games. So a lot of those games were very, very close. Um, I think it's it's a fair reflection. Um, Findorf are a very good team. They've been successful over the last three or four years. They've won the 50-over tournament once. They've been T20 champions in Germany once, and they're always there or thereabouts. Obviously, now the, the ECL will have changed in the fact that it's not just the Dutch there, but obviously the English champions will be there, the Scottish champions, the Irish champions. So we're going to have four countries playing at a much, much higher level than Germany with a much bigger and, and more developed infrastructure than we've got. But in terms of the, the the best of the rest, I think the team that would have qualified this year, Darmstadt, um, would have had very, very good chances to be up there or thereabouts. German cricket or European cricket, is there's a lot of very talented people there. I, I think about our national team players and, and the people who've come from India and Pakistan, Afghanistan to here. These are all people who, if they had put their mind to it and been in the right position in their lives when they were teenagers, that probably would have made it as professionals in their own country. And for whatever reason, they'd come and landed here. Um, there's a lot of really good cricketers here. Well, I'm glad that you bring up the national team because it's what I had basically scheduled next, which was fantastic. Thank you very much. But yeah, uh, a great point you made there. We also saw uh, Dieter Klein and Michael Richardson come into the team as well, qualified for Germany. All of a sudden, there was a bit of hype around that German national team when the European qualifier came about. What was the feeling? We know coming into the tournament, they were looking good to potentially go on. Jersey was the other team that you know curtailed all of that. To go down on net run rate like you guys did, what was the feeling from that? But then moving forward, where do you see the German national team going to in the next cycle of uh, international cricket yeah it was obviously very disappointing because it was so close we had a bad day against Italy um, where we lost we had three injuries in that game and, and for one reason or another we can't seem to beat Italy at the moment yeah, they've beaten us three times in their last three games yeah and, and for whatever reason we lost that game that was a bit disappointing in the other games we were quite dominant specifically against Denmark who are obviously a, a country that's a lot higher than us in the, 
know, in, in the rankings, we beat Guernsey quite easily. We played against Norway and we, we beat them easily. And then, of course, we had this game against, uh, against Jersey, obviously a team with a lot of experience in a small location where they can train together. They're a very, very good cricket unit. Obviously, we have a good team. We had, we thought we had a chance of, of, of beating Jersey, but we had to beat them, I think, something like 14 overs. And I think we were, we were one or two balls short in terms of chasing the target. If you look at it as a one-off game, you know, we, we beat them very, very easily. But in terms of the tournament, I think it was 0.05 on, on net run rate, which would, if we'd have done that, if we'd have achieved that, we would have been, you know, in the UAE for the global qualifier, which of course is our target. From an administration point of view, yeah, maybe a couple of years too early. From the cricketing perspective, the players were totally down and depressed about that, you know, so close so far. Remember that we were 33 in the 50 over rankings when the ICC decided to put the cut at 32. Mm-hmm. We were also, therefore, the, the one team below that line when they cut it from eight teams to seven teams at the World Cricket League. We were one place below the line when they cut it from seven to five. We were one place below the line. So we've been a lot, been very unlucky over, over years. But going forward, we've got, putting aside the county players for, for, for one moment, we've got a lot of players who are very, very talented, good players on a similar level in some ways to, to, to the county players here in Germany. But obviously the on the cake are four players who have a German passport or were born in Germany and therefore they're eligible to play for Germany. Um, the first one was Craig Mercedes, who is a, a, an all-rounder for, for Glamorgan and he came in and played in the tournament last year and was man of the tournament and it was a different level. It was it was fantastic, his performances. Michael Richardson, obviously the, the, the son of Dave Richardson, the former ICC chief executive who's got a German mother, I believe, and a German passport has come in and he's taken Wesley's place as wicketkeeper batsman and we've also got got Dieter Klein who made his debut two weeks before Corona came when we played in Spain who's a left arm fast bowler for Leicestershire there's also uh, Oliver Rayner who was born here he hasn't played for us yet um, he's just retired from county cricket so we'll have to see how that develops but you know if we did get to a global qualifier you know with these players plus the ex-Afghan national players plus the the players that we've brought through you know we would we would do we would do okay. I'm not saying that we're thinking about going to a World Cup, but we would surprise a team or two. And certainly that is our ambition. We don't know what's going to happen with the tournaments here. Obviously, the, the, the tournament is, the, the sub-regionals are planned for the end of August in Spain. We don't know whether that's going to happen. We hope so. And then the finals a few months later also in Spain. But our target this time is to get to the global qualifiers next summer. Let's see. I think it would be a great story if a country like Germany, obviously, obviously this, this famous world economic power, uh, was playing at a global tournament. I, I think it's, it's something that the ICC could be proud about in terms of growing the game. And I think it would be a great story. And if, if our games were, were shown all around the world on TV and we had the opportunity to get on the same field as Scotland and the Netherlands and, uh, and the other top associates, which is where we aspire to be, it would be wonderful for us and it would be a great story. And maybe the Germans would take it a little bit more seriously seriously as well you know but the cricket world cup's one of the biggest sports events in the world and if germany is nearly there one level before maybe we could get a few people in germany interested but i'd just like to say that you know we're we're ambitious but we're realistic we're not saying that we want to be playing england and india we're not saying that we want to be beating scotland and the netherlands what we're trying to do in the same way that the netherlands and scotland are trying to get to the level of england and australia and maybe once in a while beat them that's what we're trying to do to scotland and the netherlands that's certainly our target in the next few years you you mentioned the challenge league cutoff of um 
32 teams. You mentioned the the fact that you were ranked 33, and that's largely to do with the century by one of our favourites, Patrick Matautava. Did did you see that innings? I wasn't there, but he's not one of our favourites. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I watched it on, on Quick Info, ball by ball, and um, yeah, I couldn't believe what I was saying. I mean, that basically cost us a place in that tournament, and obviously a lot of ICC investment, but that's, that is associate cricket, and I think you guys do a good job of, of, of emphasising that these margins in associate cricket are, are huge, and the next step brings with it, obviously, investment, but also a lot of interest in your national team. As I said, we've always been unlucky. I mean, 0.05, that is basically one ball. That means that in that tournament last year in Guernsey, every time we conceded a boundary, every time we dropped a catch, every time the other team bowled a dot ball, it basically cost us a place in the global qualifier, extra funding, and obviously the this vision of seeing a German cricket team playing at the top level of associate cricket. Makes it exciting, but it's not nice when you're on the other side of the coin. Yeah, that's why we all like it, but I'm sure for, for you guys <laughs> it becomes, uh, yeah, plenty of heart palpitations and, and stuff like that and a lot of stress. And Tim Tim discusses it a lot from from Hong Kong point of view as well, where he's basically been jumping up and down at times, uh, as impartial as he could be, but as a former CEO <laughs> of a greeting country, I, I don't think he's too worried about trying to be too reserved about a lot of things. Well, even when I was sitting in the uh, in the media centre in the T20 World Cup qualifier, there was no impartiality there. There was, <laughs> I think, I may have dislocated my shoulder at one point cheering when when Hong Kong. I, I almost said we, but I didn't. Had Amand five down for twenty or whatever. But yes, um, and I, look, I think that's what brings the passion for the game out even more when those, as Brian said, their margins are so, are so well, they're so large, but they're also so fine that the the difference between we're talking tens and twenties and even hundreds of thousands of dollars of funding coming down to to little decisions or little periods in a game or moments and you know there's nothing else like it in full member cricket i don't think there's anything else that happens you know a team can lose every game of a world cup if they're in it and they don't lose funding they can lose every every test match for for 3 years they don't lose their full member funding and when people understand how the cricket hierarchical system of funding works and they learn about it you just see their eyes widen it's like I had no idea, and that's why we started emerging cricket. But the, <laughs> you know how it affects. Well, for some players, how it doesn't affect them, and how they're able to operate under that, I think, is amazing. And we've talked about how associate cricketers are probably set up than any of their full member counterparts better to deal with COVID because they're used to having to deal training by themselves and playing intermittently and not knowing when the next tournament's coming from. It's like, well, that's that's basically you've just defined associate cricket. But even more so, when the pressure over the top of them, knowing if they don't win this game or what it means their funding is is just huge and i know i'm preaching to the the choir here on this podcast and probably those listening to it but that's what just adds to it and what creates an amazing it's not even a product i don't want to talk about it like it's something commercialized but just an amazing thing in the soul that associate cricket has well i've had to take a step back as the manager of the national team for my own good basically because you know when we <laughs> Um, and, and I did this off, off my own bat. Um, nobody forced me to do it. But basically, uh, I realized that uh, I was sitting you know, with the team and um, had this hour of nervousness. It wasn't that I was saying anything, but it's so important. If, if it is your job, if it is your, you know, your daily work, it becomes so important. You know? And when we didn't qualify, for the players, it was obviously a lost opportunity. They wanted to obviously play at this tournament, but it was a game of cricket. For us, it was, I don't know, 75,000 euros in funding or whatever it was. You know, a little bit of a relief because it would have been a big, big struggle for us to get there in terms of you know, logistics and you know, getting time off work and all of that for our players. You know? So that was taken away that way. 
weight was taken away. But it was such a big ambition and such a big benefit for German cricket if we'd have got there. And I'm sitting there, not saying anything, but everybody can feel it. Um, so... I'm going to go to the tournaments, but I'm going to sit as far away from the team as possible in future. Yeah, the fact that you got that far while managing, and I don't know how many laps of of solitude you must have done to try and calm yourself down, or or what other habits you may have taken up. Like if you're trying to quit smoking or something at the same time, it must have been impossible. Now, we'll, we'll move away from that. We've talked about what the World Cup pathway would mean. We've talked about funding that is linked to that. Another huge sporting event Uh, that we haven't mentioned yet is the Olympics and we talk about that a lot on the pod and we write a lot about it and the the positive effect it could have on on the game and again it's one of those situations where a lot of people don't quite understand the impact that it would have beyond the the test world especially from a funding but also an exposure and and, and access to to government training facilities and whatnot what what would Olympic inclusion mean for, for cricket in Germany? I don't know if you were there, Tim, but at, at Lords about six or seven years ago at annual conference, there was a presentation by a guy called John Long from the ICC who had done a big research into the Olympics and what an impact it would have on global cricket. And he mentioned, I think, three countries and one of them was Germany. Germany is an Olympic country. Basically, sport in, in, in this country is football and Olympic sports. And all of these sports, if you're synchronized swimming or curling, um, I think synchronized swimming was about 50 people in Germany who do synchronized swimming, but they are funded because there's an opportunity to win an Olympic medal. So the moment that cricket becomes an Olympic, the Germans will want to know how they can get a medal. They've done this with rugby. Obviously, there's realistic sports and unrealistic sports, but they would do absolutely anything to get us up the rankings. So the Rugby Federation got a a big investment almost immediately when Rugby Sevens got accepted into the Olympics. And the German rugby team was very close to qualifying for, I'm not sure if it was the Olympics or World Cup. I think they conceded a try in the last minute. Rugby is a bigger sport than than cricket here, but not a big, big difference. And we would hope that um, cricket would go the same way. So we would get investment we would get recognition in in every way shape and form we would instantly become members of the olympic federation which we're not at the moment because we're not an olympic sport and that brings with it money infrastructure the icc financially would become maybe even irrelevant for the dcb that's as simple as that yeah and so they they would take it seriously and and of course i'm not saying we'd go and get a a medal at the olympics but um there would be that carrot there and and the icc sorry not the icc the um dosb the german olympic federation would see it as a long term project and um, would give us every opportunity to uh, you know to, to qualify for an Olympic Games obviously maybe the women is, is is a more interesting target there and if women's cricket was also in the Olympics it would be maybe more realistic for us to qualify in in 10 or 20 years time um, it would be a revolution we would have I don't know a dozen employees we would have performance centers with the best facilities Olympic centers and, and, and everything that goes along with it so you, you talked about how being in the Olympics would be a, a game changer in terms of relative to the ICC funding you get. Um, You you mentioned the ICC's entry-level program and there has been quite a lot of hype around German cricket and and a significant amount of interest from the ICC. So, I guess, what sort of support has the ICC been offering and what is this entry-level thing you're talking about? Well, the entry-level program is something that the ICC has, has rolled out all around the world. And it's basically, it's the first experience that people will have with cricket. So, it's eight lessons translated into various languages. So, obviously, in, in this country, translated into German and very, very simply done so that anybody, even somebody who doesn't come from a cricket background, can actually carry it out. So I'm not sure exactly, but I think maybe the first exercise is throwing a ball and then it's a bit of bowling and then it's batting and then it's fielding, whatever it might be. And over these eight 
lessons, you learn a little bit about the basics of cricket so that you're in a position to play, you know, low level modified cricket, quick cricket or indoor cricket, whatever it might be, street cricket. So it's it's great. It's a great product with good um, equipment um, that is that is provided to us. We have to pay for it, but provided to us by the ICC. And it's something that they're rolling out all over the world. And, uh, you know, we've done school work over the years, but we've done it always in, in a way that we thought was the right way to do it. You know, with our knowledge of cricket, here is a, is a ready-made product. It's supported by the ICC and um, it has structure to it. And as we all know, the Germans like a little bit of structure. <laughs> I'm not touching that. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's it's fascinating to to know just how much money an Olympic committee would be willing to throw towards cricket if it was an Olympic sport. I actually think it's quite fitting because knowing and watching a little bit of uh, a few stories of German cricket and its development, I've noticed that uh, the ground in Berlin is right behind the Olympia Stadion there, where of course they hosted the. 1936 Olympics but looking to the future and and if cricket was to become an Olympic sport and if Germany was to build on its success in in the early 2000s perhaps five or ten years down the track who are the names that we're going to be singing out for, for from the German national cricket team who are the young players coming through that you've seen or other people have, have handpicked as potential world beaters, potential game winners for the German national team, because I'm sure we're going to see the German national team perhaps at that next level competing for silverware and competing at a higher level. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a couple. Um, and, and both of them have played for the German under-19 team. The first one is uh, is Abdul Shakur Rahimze, who is the guy who was in the BBC report, who came to Germany five years ago as a refugee. He started off as a, as a spinner who can bat. And I mean, he's got a great on him and he, he middles the ball and hits it here there and everywhere he's probably now a batsman who can bowl his batting has really come along he's fit he's dynamic he's a great team player so I see him playing for Germany for the next 10 years or so and then there's a guy called Rohit Singh who comes from Berlin who came to Germany from India when he was about 10 years old so he had a little bit of a, a cricket background came to our structures captained the under 19 team played I think for the under 19 team when he was about 15 or 16 and he always he always had he's a very classy batsman does a little bit of medium pace bowling as well but uh, I think he's 23 or 24 now and I can see him playing for the next 10 years those are the two that stand out but we're always picking up players I mean we, we went to Spain this year a few weeks ago before Covid came we took a new player a guy called Sri Vishnu, who's a, a left-arm spinner from, from the Stuttgart region. We didn't even know this guy existed. Somebody picked up on him last year, invited him to a training camp. He, he impressed. We took him and he was our best bowler in Spain. So there's always somebody coming out of the woodwork, you know, with, with 300 plus teams. You know, we're always uncovering players and thinking, OK, in a couple of years, he could be the player. There are a couple of players who have played PSL, who are playing cricket in Germany and will qualify in, in, in the next year, including a guy who he was top of the Pakistani batting averages, first class batting averages about five years ago. He qualifies to play for Germany in about 12 months time. So there's all, you know, through the immigration and, and, and through people coming to Germany, there's always players like that. You know, we knew about Isatullah a couple of years before he was eligible to play for Germany and we waited and then he got in and obviously he's proven himself. Um, but there's a few more coming through as well. And I hope that in 20 years time, you know, we've got half of the guys have, have come through the system and there's a, you know, a few people who, who maybe learn their cricket in the entry level program who are one day playing for Germany. That's obviously would be a dream, but we know it's a long, 
it's a long haul. Well, that's that is kind of an interesting point, isn't it? That you're a, a largely you know amateur organisation, yet you've had this massive increase in playing pool, and and it's hard to get eyeballs on that many players and and just to see them all. So it's it's an interesting challenge for a cricket scene that's growing really quickly. And I know Essen is, uh, you know, not too far from the Dutch border. So I'm just interested in, you mentioned the KNCB there. What other sort of programs are you guys sort of looking at to try and get help from other associates to maybe develop the game a bit more in that sort of region? This is actually one of the things that has has really improved over the last couple of years is the cooperation between European countries. Obviously, we we look to the KNCB like a big brother. So our women's team were going to play this year in their in their T20 tournament. Unfortunately, again, that's been cancelled. Um, but we we go there to play you know uh, performance games, to play training camps and things like that. And we use their facilities, and we have an incredible amount of support from them. They're friends of ours, and you know they they want somebody to compete against as well. I mean, if you if you're Holland, who do you play? against you know you've got Scotland and you've got Ireland maybe on similar levels but it must get very boring for them to play the same teams all of the time so they, they I think they would be happy if we we joined that level and, and other European countries one of the other things that we do is we work very very closely with the Scandinavian countries and we've developed a uh, several projects together with Sweden and Norway and Finland and Denmark become also very good friends. We, we we support each other with women's development, with lots of programs. We've just done an application for EU funding together. Obviously, countries that have got a similar story as, as Germany in terms of immigration, uh, similar cricketing problems, similar cricketing, or you say infrastructures. So we work very, very closely with them. And, uh, and the atmosphere within European cricket over the last couple of years is actually fantastic. It's, it's, well, obviously we're opponents on the field. We want to beat each other and we're in the same group as Sweden this year, but off the field, we help each other and we're friends. Never used to happen like that. Before we let you go on, so everyone that comes on as a guest, we throw them this one question to see what come up with. Ours is a wonderful sport with a long history, some, um, some quirky qualities, but if there was a one law within the game, what would you change and why? Um, what would I do? What would I do? I, I don't. Does cricket need changing? You have the chalice. You're in charge. Come on, you can change anything. I, I, I would. I would change the uh, the boundary rule for the World Cup. Even though England won the World Cup, I wouldn't have that anymore. But I think they've already changed that one. Um, I wouldn't change it. I think cricket is is unique. In, in in obviously, I love the fact that there are three different forms of the cricket of cricket. I, I think the criticism that it gets from a lot of people is unfair. I think that makes cricket. It's always fresh. It's always interesting. There's always something new. I, I wouldn't change anything about the laws of the cricket. Obviously, I would uh, like a few things to happen to associate cricket. I would like associate cricket to be taken just that little bit more seriously but obviously I'm, I'm speaking as, as a CEO of, of an associate country but in terms of the on-field laws no leave it as it is it's a wonderful sport it's a wonderful sport maybe not a law but a relevant playing condition for Germany with that uh, net run rate miss there, there was a moment where Jersey would have actually been better served to bowl a wide because of the way that net run rates counted that's a good point point. and um, basically if they'd bowled a wide you would have uh, lost in the requisite time for them to go through. And, and so that's a sort of a, a perverse incentive that maybe could uh, be relevant to you. Well, if anyone had any doubts about the potential growth of German cricket, Brian, you've well and truly put them to bed. So thank you very much. Thank you very much for joining us on the Emerging Cricket Podcast. Brian Mantle, CEO of the German Cricket Federation. Yeah, thank you. And yeah, keep up the good work. It's uh, always good to listen to you. 
A huge thank you again to Brian Mantle for joining us this week. As we said at the top of the pod, don't forget to subscribe to the Emerge Cricket Podcast, pass the pod around, and give us a five-star review. If you want to support us financially, go to Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Emerging Cricket, where you can support us from as little as $2 US a month. And that gets you extended cuts to a number of our podcasts, and you can have a say on the show's direction. On behalf of Tim Cutler, Nick Skinner, and myself, Daniel Beswick, enjoy the rest of your day wherever you are around the emerging cricket world.